Okay, so uh, why have we got John's Gospel? Sorry, Malcolm. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in his name. So that's why we've got this passage that we're going to look at for the next few minutes. And I've got a question. And the sermon's called Sheep Sighted. So what does that mean? Sheep Sighted. Exciting, eh? Almost, yeah. Well, it's definitely involved with that. Um, Here's a question. 70% of Brits are affected by this problem and try to address it. And 75% of Americans are affected by this problem and try to address it. What's the problem? The the what? I don't... Short-sightedness, says Diane. Yeah, or long-sightedness. Problems with the eyes. Yeah, good one. Okay, here's another one. Who invented glasses and in what century? The Egyptians, after, after the Egyptians, glasses. Although they did brain surgery and things, it's incredible. Okay, the answer is, um, in the 13th century, an Italian named Salvino de Amate, he invented glasses. There you go. Um, When I went to Swansea University, I made friends with a Dutch guy my age called Ruben, and he spent his student loan on laser eye surgery. And then went hungry for three years. <laughs> and uh, he had uh, really, he did it, and then his eyes went crusty. But after the crustiness, he saw things that he never saw before. And he was blown away by the results. He suddenly saw everything in high definition. Um, but when I met with Reuben, he wouldn't really talk about that. We used to stay up late, me and Reuben. And we wouldn't talk about the beauty of uh, laser eye surgery, but the beauty of the Lord. And he was a really dear friend of mine, a Christian. And it sounds like a joke. A Welshman and a Dutchman walk into Swansea Uni. What do they like do or what do they talk about? Well, what we did, we had both seen something invisible, but it was as clear as day which is what the Ephesians verse Richard read was about. Paul saying you can see something invisible as clear as day. And um, the Bible teaches that everyone sitting in front of me this day and sitting at home watching, you have two sets of eyes. Physical eyes and spiritual eyes. And there's a big amount of crossover between those two things. And whichever you use more tends to define you and who you are. And Reuben had his spiritual eyes fixed on the Lord. And he was a wonderful Christian. Here's a verse in the Bible, um, 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but rather the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary But the things which are not seen are, do you know the end? Eternal. And today's a wonderful day because you can all see with clear eyes the living God. Spiritual eyes. As clear as anything in the physical world. Now then, um, during the pandemic, 
I have noticed, I don't know if you have, that what you see physically affects you spiritually and spiritually, physically, vice versa. The two overlap. So, I have met people in the pandemic who have had their eyes fixed on Jesus and the world to come more than trying to preserve their physical well-being, though that stuff's important. And they've come out the other side looking much healthier and peaceful and calmer than those who did nothing in the pandemic than try and preserve their physical well-being. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the physical and the spiritual really overlap. Here's another thing. When Jesus is trying to help men out who are like sexually immoral, what does he say to cure all their problem? Don't look and your heart will sort itself out. Don't look. And you're like, Jesus, have you got anything else to say on the problem of lust? He's like, just don't look. And in this area, you shall be saved. What you look at with your physical eyes or your spiritual eyes interacts with everything in your life. And you'll become like what you see. And... um, What you see with your physical eyes are often what your spiritual eyes love the most. Now, there's a fascinating study in the world that I haven't looked at yet, but why, when family members get together, do they all look at their phones? Does anybody know the answer to that? There's something going on spiritually that's making them look down at something else, isn't there? Why are parents not always present in the moment with their children and they'd rather look at something else? Surely there's like a spiritual phenomenon going on there that even if we've prayed for children and the Lord blesses us, often when they're with us, we're not present. Our eyes wander. Is it a sign of a wandering heart still longing for something that we thought children would deliver? I'm just putting that out there for thought, because what we think and see is so important. When I go to football training uh, with my boys, all the parents sit on the side. Most of them are looking down. They've got the gift of children, and the children are playing and trying to catch their eye and wave. Most of us are looking at something else to grab our attention. Now, there's probably lots of reasons why, but it is a phenomenon, everybody looking for something that maybe originally they thought children would deliver, and I'm finally at peace with everything and ultimately fulfilled. And the kid's like, Mom, I can kick a ball. We're like, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. Will Smith slapped someone. Hold on. Wait, let me read all about that. Or Dad. Just on that theme, what are we looking for the other side of the screens? Or the magazines. Are we looking for like something to grab us, but we keep looking at just the horizontal? And our inner eyes are believing that lie too. Like I meet people, I can't read the Bible, no time. And then their iPhone pops up. Hours spent on screen yesterday, 22 hours in yesterday. Well, I can't give any time to think about anything high. I'm so busy. 22 hours. That was the record that someone showed with me the other day. 22 hours. So, all of that, the importance of sight, physical and spiritual. In the Gospels, Jesus would meet people and look at them and they would look at him and he would say things like, 
Come to me if you're burdened and I'll give you rest. Or, if you would have come to me when you saw me, I would have gathered you like chicks. And lots of people say no to Jesus in the Gospels and ever since. And he passes them by because they saw no worth in him physically, spiritually. And it's really dangerous because there's a scary verse in John chapter 1 verse 10 and it says this, Jesus came to his own people and his own people received him not. And that means it's possible that things in church can get in the way of seeing Jesus this morning. What are we looking at when we come even to church? In the Bible hour last week, um, we read about Hezekiah in 2 Kings. He comes to the ancient church and he does this. He smashes away the pagan high places, the sacred stones, the Asherah poles, all these idolatrous things that the church has started worshipping. And then it says he broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made for when the Israelites were in the wilderness. Do you remember in Numbers chapter 21, there's this symbol that Moses has, and it's um, this bronze serpent, and it rescues the church. And they look to this serpent, and they're saved. And Jesus says, you've got to lift me up like that snake in the wilderness. And that icon of church, which originally led people to look with their eyes and affections on the Lord, a physical icon, in 2 Kings chapter 18 they had to smash that up because it had become an icon stopping them from seeing God. They even named it Nehushtan. They gave a name to their little icon, stopping them. Something good had become bad. And I'm just scared. And the question is this morning for all of us as we're here and watching at home, what are we looking at? Really, what are we looking at? Physically and spiritually. In church history, some people leave churches if their little Nehushtan icon isn't in the right place. Tables, guitars, pianos, organs, hymns or songs. Favorite preacher, I won't come if it's not my favorite. I knew a lady once and she pulled me to her house and she said, Owen, I'm not tithing anymore. I'm not coming to your church anymore. I'm not being a member of your church anymore, and I've taken you out of the will. There's nothing going to the church. Not me out the will, the church out the will. I, I had no chance, believe me. Question, why? Answer, you took the pews out to make room for a mothers and toddlers group. We only had one room, and there's loads of mums broken. Their husbands had run off and left them, and the church could have provided, so we put chairs there. We could pick up and move to the side. What an amazing thing, and people were becoming Christians, and Jesus was being lifted up, and we were sharing it, and someone stopped, because we ruined church. That's not church, is it? That's not church. That is when church are not looking to Jesus, when we leave over things like that. And they did it in Jesus' day. Jesus being lifted up wasn't what some churchgoers wanted. They didn't want to see him. And he walked right past them and went to the beggars, 
the prostitutes, the needy, the down and outs. And they loved him. Jesus would bring churchgoers to a crossroads and say this, are you looking at me? Are you looking at me? Now I go to church for Zumba, or I'm on the committee or the coffee rota. Ah, he'd say, but are you looking at me? Those things are fine, but are you looking ultimately at me? And I'm just going to reread a couple of verses. Here's 35 to 37. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Ask yourselves, are they better off for looking at Jesus? Behold the Lamb that we see Him. Behold the Lamb. This man is good for me. This man is the Lamb who's going to stand in my place and all my wrongdoings are going to be on Him. He's going to do that for me. And they see it. And that fills their lives. My Savior He's good. He's going to hang on a cross. And that icon is going to become the most well-known icon of world history. The cross. Behold the Lamb. The Christian message is this. The sacrifice of the strongest, the Lord God, for the survival of the weakest. That's what we see in our Lamb. I am so weak. I'm frail. I'm sinful, and he comes and dies for me. And that's what people see. Are they better off when they see Jesus? Yes. And look, 37 and 38, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed. They followed. Now, I don't know where people at home stand spiritually. Don't know where some of you stand spiritually. But when they saw that Jesus was the Savior of the world, they followed. They followed. They did not wait till Monday. They followed. As if their life depends on it, they prayed in their pews when they saw who Jesus was, the Savior of sinners. Lord, I'm following. Help me. I'm coming. So Jesus brings them to a crossroads. Even people who think like this. Owen, please, can we have one meeting where Jesus isn't talked about? Just give me a break. Give me that break. He brings people to that crossroads. And some people are like, okay, there will be a break. If I just hold on to Monday, I'll just put this one off before all of my eyes look up to Jesus and it'll go nice and quiet. It's not what they do here. They follow. And these sinners who are short-sighted become sheep Sighted. Because when people meet God in the Bible, it's described as when sheep lay eyes on a shepherd and follow him. Or when baby lambs follow their older brother lamb. He's got me. And I've seen sheep when they first go to the shepherd. You know what they're covered in? Poo. But they still follow the shepherd. <laughs> Jensen. 
And some of us are in such a mess and we think, He wouldn't have me. He wouldn't have me. And He does have you. And He cleans us up later as we walk with Him. But we still come now without one plea with all of our sins to this shepherd. And He cleans us up as we follow Him along the way. They didn't tidy their mess up first or sort all their doubts up out. They just said, Lord God, I'm coming to you. Help me. Be my shepherd. And Jesus says, in uh, more accurate versions than this one, what do you seek? And Jesus does things like that. What are you looking at, he says? What do you want? In a few chapters' time, he says to a lady, are you thirsty? Can you give me a drink? And he's, he's on another level. He's like, ah, you need proper water of life. And then he says to people in John 6, hey, do you want some bread? Oh, do you want bread? What type of bread? Jesus does that type of thing. What do you seek, Park End Church? And now the perfect answer as we wrap all this up would be, oh, hi Jesus, to be born again, to receive sight, to be an epic church leader and receive your salvation. But they're way too stupid for that in this chapter because sheep are stupid. What does he say? What do they say when Jesus said, what do you want? Where are you staying? What a rubbish... What a rubbish question. The Lord God standing right in front of them. What do you want in life? Uh, Where are you staying? B&B? Hotel? Let's just talk about that. Has it got a balcony view? Let's just talk for a while, Jesus. Jesus is like, oh, I'm standing right in front of you. You need to see me. And church is like, oh, anything but get into the real proper stuff. Where are you staying? But thanks be to God. Everybody should be happy with this. We have a very patient Lord God. And he says to them in verse 39, Come and you'll see. You come. And he doesn't mean come and see where I'm staying in the Airbnb. He means come. I know how many times you're going to get this wrong. But come and see. And Jesus still says to everyone, You're going to see how much I'm going to save you and help you. Just keep coming. See me. I'm the Lamb. I'm the shepherd. Come. You've no idea how much I'm going to save you and be patient with you. You've no idea the heart of the living God. Follow me. And just so we get it, he closes this bit by entering Peter. One of the biggest flops. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And one of the two had heard what John had said. And they followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was find Simon Peter. And they all say, we found the Messiah. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are Simon. Here's a name change. You are now Cephas, the rock. What does Peter see in Jesus? He sees he's the Messiah, the God-man, the Savior. And that's in there for people like us as we close, just in case we haven't quite got it. Here is some of the things that Peter gets up to after this wonderful high. Probably a Sunday high. Well, Jesus changed my name today. I'm never going to mess up. I'm going to be the best Christian in the world and that's why he's going to love me. Nope. Jesus walked with Peter. When Peter rushed out towards him, his eyes on Jesus in a burst of love, got out of a boat, tried to get there, sank. Took his eyes off Jesus. Do you have bursts of love and then nothing sink? Peter still called 
Jesus still walked with him. When Jesus said in Matthew 26, Hey Peter, keep watch for me please. Maybe pray a bit for me. Yeah, definitely, I'll do that. Two minutes later, falls asleep when Jesus needs him the most. Here's a question. Who feels like you're sleeping while other people are going on with Jesus and you're worried, is there a place for you? Peter was still called. Jesus still walked with him. In Mark chapter 14, Lord, if everybody else stumbles, I won't, says Peter. And then he denies him publicly. Who's afraid to stand for Jesus during the week? All of us. Peter still called. Jesus still walked with him. John chapter 18. Peter chops someone's ear off in a fit of rage. Who here has an irrepressible temper? Peter still called. Jesus still walked with him. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Jesus was buried, rose again on the third day, and was seen first by Cephas. Seen first. The first man who Jesus went to find was the biggest flop of them all. Because Jesus comes for the biggest flops in the world to tell them, I am risen, all is well. See me. I've got you. I'm your shepherd. Be sheep sighted this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.